rolling when you guys want to get into it. Okay, great. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we cut through the crap and tell it just how it is and hopefully have a bit of fun along the way. My name's Andrew Page, and joining me today is Scott Phillips. Welcome, Scott. G'day, Andrew. G'day, Fools. Thanks for listening. Yes, thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to chew over a few interesting points, the first one being why the RBA governor, Mr. Glenn Stevens, thinks you're mad. Also, why Qantas may well just be the worst investment on the ASX, and how to get rich from the people who've been there and done that. So pretty easy and pretty straightforward. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, I'll give you some tips as well. I missed the, the BRW rich list this time, Scott, but uh, mate, there's always next year. Uh, the first one, though, the RBA governor saying that you are nuts. What is he on about? So you know how property is a fail-safe, get-rich scheme? It never goes down. Well, not so fast. No less than the uh, RBA governor himself, the biggest banker in the country, has poured cold water all over that view. And in some pretty clear and direct language, I'm going to quote him here. The assumption that there's an easy road to riches through leveraged holdings of real estate, dot, 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 is not a great strategy. Surely that can't be true, Andrew. Surely property is the answer to all our dreams and hopes. It certainly has been for the last couple of decades. Look, I reckon our audience is a pretty good cross-section of the Australian population. So about one in 10 of you listening probably owns an investment property. And the other nine of you probably believe, the well-held view, that property never, ever falls, right? Well, no one likes being told their baby is ugly, Andrew, but unfortunately, that's what I'm going to do. There is an honest truth straight from the governor's mouth that property is not always a great investment strategy. Just because it has been over the last 20 or 30 years, and yes, that's a long time, doesn't mean it's going to continue to be so. Yeah, right. I mean, we've got a lot of data on this, and there's the best data, or one of the, the best sources of data is in the US. Uh, and we, we look over there, we've actually got 100 years worth of data. So we've got this Nobel Prize winning economist, his name's Robert Schiller. And he, he looked at the period between 1890 and 1990, and he says this, capital gains have not even been positive over that period. From 1890 to 1990, real, in, let me start again, real inflation corrected home prices were virtually unchanged. So what he's saying is, yes, prices have obviously gone up over that period. You strip out inflation and it's been flat. In fact, a little bit down. So in fact, you've actually lost money. You could have, you could have simply got the inflation return that would have beaten property over that century. Yeah, pretty much. That's astonishing. Unchanged. Well, okay, so that was then. This is now, right? The world has changed all of a sudden now from 1990 onwards. Everything's different, right? Well, maybe. Let's go back to a, one of the, the best and most famous investors of, uh, of history, Sir John Templeton. He said the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different. So for those of you listening who's thinking, no, this time it's different. 1890, 1990, it was the US, prices never fall. Well, you know what? They didn't fall in the US either until the GFC. Don't believe it can't happen here. Again, it's important to remember, we're not saying prices will fall. We're not predicting a property crash in the slightest. But gee, when Glenn Stevens comes out and says, hey guys, take a chill pill. This is not the road to riches. It makes sense to listen. I got to say though, there's, there's been plenty of big weeds who have been saying this for a long time. Steve Keen's one of those uh, famous economists. For, what, 10 years ago, he was calling for a crash. It never happened. You know, we've seen, what, 10, 15% average annual growth, particularly in places like Sydney and Melbourne. So, you know, is this just another doomsayer? Well, he's still calling for a crash. So maybe like a broken clock, as you said before, Andrew, maybe a broken clock being right twice a, twice a day. Maybe Steve Kendall will be right eventually. But I'll tell you what, if you took his advice and he, he sold his house probably 10 or 15 years ago, believing that they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't see any more gains, he's cost himself a lot of money. Oh, geez. Well, speaking of, of costing yourself a lot of money, one way to do that potentially would have been to invest in Qantas shares. Now, this is interesting. It's a national icon, an unbeaten safety record. People are today flying more than they ever have before, and that trend is only increasing. 
We've also got record low oil prices. So it just seems like a, a no-brainer, right? Well, not so fast. We've got a, we've got a, a few uh, facts here. The first one being, if you look at Qantas on a per share basis, their sales today are about the same as they were 10 years ago. That's not up. adjusting for inflation. Aren't either. there more people flying now than there were a decade ago? Heaps more. So how are their sales the same as they were a decade ago? Are oh, they just not as charging as much as they were? So, so we as consumers have really done well out of this. We, you know, air, air, air flight tickets are, have come down a long, long way. Uh, but costs have also gone up. So that's, that's, the, that's the next thing. When you actually look at their profits, we actually seen at one point over that decade, they dropped by 75%. Now, recently, they've clawed their way back, but only to where they were again 10 years ago, and only because of the free kick of lower oil prices, or a big part of it being lower oil prices. So it's not surprising that these guys have, have struggled to pay a dividend. They used to pay a dividend to shareholders. Now they don't. In fact, they haven't for six long years. But this is Qantas. This is the biggest airline in the country, the Flying Kangaroo. The, it goes back to the you know, Queensland Northern Territory Aerial Service, the most storied company in the aviation industry, probably in the world. Yep. And you're saying it's not worth owning? I don't think so. In fact, I'd, I'd go one further there. I'd say it's, it's, it's one of the, when you look at financial performance, it's done better than most airlines around the world, and it's still not worth owning. Um, uh, why is that? How can that be? Best of a bad bunch is still bad, isn't it? Yeah, Look, right. let's, let's break it down. Let's think about what does an airline do? There was a time when Qantas had the best safety record. In fact, it still does have the best safety record in the world. And you would pay a lot of money to fly on Qantas because it was the best airline. You wouldn't take your chance with anything else. But flying has become a commodity product. Effectively, the, the world's aviation regulators are doing such a great job no one cares about the safety records anymore because they figure they're all much of a muchness. You might pay 10 or 15 bucks more for a Qantas flight, but that's about the extent of it. Qantas can't charge a premium anymore. And there is loads of competition. There is every airline around the world. There's more and more of them over time. Every time someone has a billion dollars, they, they spend it and, and waste it trying to make another airline. Uh, Richard Branson tried to start Virgin. He's done okay with that, but hardly made a fortune. Uh, government-owned airlines right around project, the world. really, isn't it? Right, Singapore, Malaysia, mm. Middle East. Every government wants to have an airline. You know, they, they do a dime a dozen. Remember back to the Qantas, Qantas uh, Compass, I should say, Compass mm, Mark 1, mm. Compass Mark 2, uh, you know, Ausjet. There's, there's a history of Australians trying to start airlines because they wanted to cozy up to, to, to this duopoly and try and make some money. Right. There's simply too much competition for the available number of passengers in the country. And these are very, very expensive planes using very, very expensive fuel. Mm. If you don't keep them full, you lose money. Mm. So you try and drop your prices to keep the planes full. That lowers your margins. You add too much capacity and all of a sudden no one makes any money. In fact, in an airline business, if you even manage to stay, ex stay in existence, you're doing pretty well. And in fact, historically, you're doing better than most. Right. Many airlines in the US have been broke two or three times now as they've tried to get their, themselves out of trouble. This is just simply a broken industry in a very, very tough large part of the world. Right. I remember uh, Warren Buffett, so, you know, arguably the world's greatest investor. He's actually had a bit of a dabble in uh, airlines and it didn't work out well for him. He's quoted as saying, if a capitalist had been present at Kitty Hawk back in the early 1900s, he should have shot Orville right down. <laughs> and in doing so would have done all investors a huge favor. I can't imagine the amount of literally the billions and billions of dollars that have been lost investing in airlines. Interestingly enough, he also jokes he has a 1-800 number that he calls as, hi, I'm Warren, I'm an aeroholic, whenever he's tempted to make an airline investment. <laughs> That's right. If Warren Buffett's not going to invest in airlines, Andrew, I'll tell you what, it's not, not going to go to you with them anyway. And by the way, what I would add to that, if you own Qantas shares today, if you own Virgin shares today, Qantas have been on a bit of a nice run. The shares are up. One of the best to... performing shares. Yeah. Right. And and sometimes these look at that and go, well, I'll keep, I'll keep owning it. I'll, mm. keep, I'll keep, you mm. know, I'll make even more money next time. I got to say now, and I've written this before, now is the, if you own airline shares, you've probably been lucky or clever or both. Mm. But gee, if you've owned them, you made some money, sell them now, take your money and run because the future returns are almost certainly much, much worse. In fact, they're probably going to be negative in my view compared to what they've been in the past. Yeah. So fly them, don't invest in them. You got to fly it, don't buy it. So I'm not going to make any money investing in, in uh, airlines. 
how am I going to make money? Well, maybe there's uh, a little bit of a lesson to be gleaned from the BRW rich list. Um, uh, we've, we've seen exactly how the, the richest 200 people in the country have done it. Now, it's, it's interesting. You look, you look out there, there's no shortage of spivs and get-rich-quick merchants, always happy to tell you, you know, how you can make uh, easy money. Usually involves buying a property, uh, or lever highly leveraged property, or investing in the next big thing, sometimes uh, emu farms and art and all this other kind of Timber stuff. Timber plantations. Uh, and I think they're right, to be frank. I think it's a great way to make money, but more so for the guys who are selling that stuff <laughs> rather than the poor mugs who, who actually invest in it. So uh, how are we going to go about it? So there's a few key pointers that I gleaned from, from reading the BRW Rich List. And the first one is, um, if, if you want to get rich, uh, own a property empire. That's what Harry Triggerboff has done. He's topped the list this year, more than $10 billion. 10.6 billion. And don't forget the extra $600 million uh, in the back six, pocket. Yeah, point six. The walking around money you found at the back of the couch. <laughs> That's exactly. right. Just for the back pocket. Um, uh, and, and in, in fact, you look at the chart of his, his, uh, his net worth and it has just gone vertical in the last couple of years. And many of our members listeners won't know Harry Triggerboff by name, but they'll certainly know the Meriton apartments that dot That's certainly right. the Sydney landscape and most, most major capital cities around the country. Uh, Meriton is everywhere. It is the, the high rise apartment king, um, and just doing a spectacular job. You can't go very far without hitting a Meriton. There's a picture of him on the, uh, in the, um, there's a, there's a picture of him on the, uh, a fin with a, a very big smile on his face. And I, I, I can understand that. I'd probably be smiling that much too. If in I a bow tie point. with a bottle of champagne. Yeah. As well. he's, not, he's not doing it tough. He's, he's living all right. Yeah, and good champagne too, no less. Um, so that's one way. Um, this is after us saying that property, uh, you've got to be careful about it. He, but he's done exceptionally well. We'll watch that space. And we'll watch that space too, because for a while there, the, those that were on the, uh, the top of the list were the miners. Gina Reinhart was in there for a while, but she's actually seen her wealth cut more in half, more than in half over the last year or so. Now, she's still not doing it too badly. Uh, she's, she's doing okay. Um, but uh, Clive Palmer as well, 59% drop in his worth over the time. But the interesting thing about Gina is it, it talks about the other great way of getting rich, which is to inherit it. You live by the iron sword, you die by the iron sword when it comes to Jenna Reinhardt, or maybe it's the nickel sword when it comes to Clive Palmer. Both of those guys doing spectacularly well when prices are on the way up, but unfortunately with commodity prices, they tend to be very cyclical. Um, you make a lot of money on the way up, you, you, know, you lose a lot on the way down. We should say, by the way, in both cases, at least thus far, most of Jenna's losses and gains have been paper losses. Clive Palmer, not quite so lucky, he made some real losses in Queensland, nickel and others, and certainly a lot of people out of work as a result of that collapse. So there are mm. real impacts to some of these Absolutely. money losses we should, we should always mention. Definitely. Look, you know, you're right. <laughs> if you inherit some money, that's a great way to go about it. Think about the likes of Jenna Reinhardt from her father, Lang Hancock. Uh, Anthony Pratt from, from the, the Vizzy Empire, uh, inheriting it from his father, Richard. And of course, James Packer inheriting it from Kerry and Kerry from his father, Sir Frank Packer. So, you know, th these, these guys have, have had a nice head start. We're not starting exactly at the bottom of the pile when it comes to making their money. Uh, absolutely not. There's a couple of other interesting things in there as well that I, that I gleaned. The first one is, is that they tend to be a fairly old group of people. So the average age across that top 266 years of age, 27 of them are more than 80 years of age. Uh, the youngest on the list, uh, you missed out this year, Scott, uh, it's, it's Tom Gurner. Um, and he's also made his money in property, uh, as it turns out. Um, we've got 50, uh, sorry, 54, in fact, across the list made it through property. Um, and we've got 53 billionaires in the list. How, how big is a billion, Scott? A billion is a very large amount of money. If you have to know, you don't have, if you have to, if you have to ask, you don't have to worry about it. Right. It's a thousand million dollars. So, you know, think about it winning a lotto a thousand times, you're getting close to what you'd have if you were a billionaire. Uh, and that's not bad for, uh, for walking around cash. It should say as well, by the way, that, you know, it's it, how you make it, how you keep it are two very different things. And so how the, the source of the money, often these people are business owners, they're business builders. Um, some of them created their own businesses. Think about the likes of Andrew Forrest of Fortescue, for example. Mm. Fortescue, for, for better or worse, has been 
a, a big bet. And Andrew Forrest has done very, very well doing it. James Packer, of course, having sold the, the media business and now in casinos and, and mm. entertainment areas. Yep. Um, talk about Harry Triggeroff, talk about Gina Reinhardt, of course, in, in mining. There are many different ways you can make it, but property remains one of the biggest and best ways mm-hmm. of the richest of the rich making money. Mm. Now, fair to say, Andrew, how can we say on one half, Glenn Stevens says you're mad investing in property, yet a quarter of the rich list made their cash through owning bricks and mortar. What, what, how can we square that circle? Well, I think it's a point in time. So there's never been anyone who's made their money in property top the list before. So we've, we've seen, as everyone in the country knows, property's gone insanely well. So those who had a lot of property have benefited from this run-up in prices. Now, again, we saw this with, with the miners. You know, they did incredibly well when iron ore was going up and up and up and up and up, and they were topping the list. And now that iron ore's come down and all the miners are, are falling through the floor, they've gone away as well. So I think it's it's a question of saying, and I think this, we've got to be clear on this. I don't think either of us, or in fact, anyone is saying that property is a bad investment, but it is potentially a bad investment when you're getting into it in a highly leveraged way, very much at or near the top of the cycle at a point where you have to throw every last cent just to service the damn thing and, and you're paying record low interest rates. So it's, it's, it's a case of um, looking at the actual fundamentals and knowing when an investment makes sense and when perhaps it doesn't. So you're saying neither you nor I are Harry Triggyboff. We're not going to make $10 billion anytime soon. I tell you this much, Scott, I'm not going to gear myself up 90% and, and, and buy a bunch of apartments all on, all on equity. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I guess we won't see on the BRW Richest next year. Maybe the year after. <laughs> Possibly so. I think the other, the other lesson in terms of getting rich is, and we touched on this before, is that time is your friend. The world's richest investor, Warren Buffett, again, another great example from, from uh, WB here. Uh, he's worth something north of about $85 billion Australian dollars, but he amassed uh, a majority of that after his 50th birthday, over $80 billion of that, in fact, after he turned 50. He was still pretty rich at 50, though, wasn't he? He did okay, he did okay. But that's an important point. I mean, you know, yes, he was absolutely, he was filthy rich at 50. But the amount of money he's made since that absolutely dwarfs the first mm. half century of his life. I mean, he's 82 now, so he's getting on a bit, but he's mm. not 85. But he's, he's nowhere near, you know, out of his tree. And frankly, the amount of money he made in that last 35 years is multiples and multiples of what he had beforehand, yeah. just showing that time really is of the essence when it comes to investing. And it, it points to that, that wonderful thing, what Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world, right? You know, um, compounding. Money makes money. And that's why you see these same faces coming up again and again and again in the BRW Rich List. You've got enough money there. You've got it invested rather sensibly. It's just going to compound. All right, Andrew. So let's let's cut to it. Let's cut to the foolish moment of truth. How do we really get rich? Well, okay. I'm going to start with the most obvious thing I can possibly say, and that is uh, spend less than you earn. <laughs> Sure. Well, uh, yeah, but you know, that's, that's sure that's crazy. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. Everyone does that, right? Uh, well, it's interesting. We've got some good stats on that. And, uh, and you'll see that generally speaking, savings rates have been falling for a long time. They've dipped up a little bit post the GFC, but generally speaking, we're not actually saving that much money. In but I, I've got a mortgage to pay and I've got my car payment. I've got to pay for my holiday and I've got to buy the new clothes and I've, I need my new iPhone. And uh, there's a lot of things I need. How am I supposed to save money? Well, look, it, it, it's, it's all Life's about- expensive. Life is expensive. It, it is, but it's all about choice. You can't say that I want everything and I want it right now and expect to make a great deal of money. You've got to put a little bit aside, hopefully invest that sensibly and let a lot of time um, and a bit of common sense do the work for you. It's 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 a harsh reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. But 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 this, I mean, I want I want all that stuff. I I, I you know how can I how can I have the new car on the iPhone? You and the can. New car? You well, can. Okay. Well, but then how am I supposed to make my money? You can't. <laughs> it's one or the other. I'm afraid, mate. Did you not hear? It? Queen, no less than Queen, said, I want it all and I want it now. Well, surely Freddie Mercury wasn't wrong. <laughs> I think in this instance, he was, he, was, he was probably wrong. All right, so let's say, let's say I managed somehow to, to put, the, put the credit card back in the back pocket and managed somehow to save some money. What next? Uh, well, I think what you want to do is you want to invest it. 
Now, I think investing often gets people, you know, it's, it's not necessarily straightforward. Do you know about how the share market works or are you, are you a, a property genius? But I mean, you can do some very basic things here. In fact, you know, what I always say to my mates is buy an index fund. You know, you will, you will beat probably 80% of the professional money managers out there. We've got a lot of stats in here in the US and the UK, and it's always the case that you strip out a lot of those ridiculous fees that a lot of those guys charge. And you, again, just let time do the work. You'll see things go up and down. It'll be volatile, but it's, it's the hare and the tortoise. You will just find that that stuff accumulates over time. All right, let me get a little bit prescriptive here. How much should I save? Look, I think a good rule of thumb is about 10% of your income each week or fortnight or monthly, whenever you get paid. Um, put that aside and then dribble that into to an investment. Even if you're just popping it into a, a high interest savings account um, and then and then popping it into an investment at the end of the year, you're going to go a long way. But if I take 10% of my income every month or every week or every year and add that up over the next say 20 or 30 years, that's still not a million dollars. How does that give me the, the, the freedom I want? It's not a million dollars in terms of what you've put in, but it will get to a million dollars very quickly when again, you come back to that power of compounding. So you've let's say your you know, long-term average return of the market around about 10%. Um, you know, you start with $100, next year you got 110, then you got 121, then you got 133, and it just goes up and up and up in that lovely exponential curve. That's why they say the first million is the hardest to make, right? Once you start making money on your money, the rest gets a bit easier. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I only know by reputation, but I'm trying my best to get there. <laughs> yeah, but time really is your friend, Fools. Listen, we have run out of time, speaking of that, so we will wrap things up. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight and hopefully a laugh or two. But until then, Scott, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, fools. And full on. Full on.